um, I'm going to be doing scripture reading today off of Psalm 34, as Pastor John um, mentioned during worship, from verse 8 to 10. So this is the word of God. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is the word of God. All right. Good afternoon. We are back online again. Um, It is strange to preach to cameras, uh, but we do have some people on site that are helping us uh, by being here this this afternoon. Just a quick update, actually. I know our brother Daniel mentioned that we will be online for the most of the month of uh, July and August, depending on what happens with Level 4. But actually, there was a little bit of update uh, this Friday. There was a little bit of court hearing. There was a court hearing between some of the churches and the government And basically, the court said you could actually have up to 10% capacity as long as it doesn't exceed 19 people. So no bigger than 19. That's the number. So actually, at our sanctuary, we could have uh, 10% would be actually 40 people. But because of the rule, we could have up to 19 people. But uh, people that are helping us set up and stream in the back, we pretty much have about 15, 16 people on site right now. So we have to get clarification from the government whether that's including people that are, that are helping with the service or not. So we'll give you a more update until those updates come. We're going to be mainly online. We're going to be mainly online. All right. Can we get the lights, actually? I cannot see anything outside of here. Can we get the lights in the back? All right. Psalm 34. We are, every summer we walk through the psalm, right? The psalms. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 34, and we started this series called Our Songs in the Valley. What a a fitting title of the series, right? Level four, many many of us have been stuck at home. Many of us are afraid to go out. Some of us know somebody who's who's, who's contracted COVID and just different things, right? It's been a tough season, and uh, like we talked about last week, Book of Psalm gives language to pray, especially in times, tough times, difficult times, hard times. And so hopefully through this series, we are getting language. We are, we are getting tools to be able to pray and seek God in seasons like this. So today, the song that we're going to take a look at, Psalm 34, if you have your Bibles, turn there. And we're going to just walk through Psalm 34. The author of Psalm 34 is a guy that we know pretty well if you grew up in the church named David, King David. And this psalm was written, like many psalms, during his time of being, being on, a, on a run from his enemy Saul, King Saul, the first king, actually the father of his best friend Jonathan. And, and Saul felt extremely threatened by David's rise. Right? David came out of nowhere, defeated Goliath, and people just loved David. And, and Samuel went and anointed David to be the next king, and Saul, Saul found out, and Saul wanted this man dead. So for many years, if you don't know David's story, for many years, David was, uh, was on, on the run. He, he didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to go. And during these years of being on the run, there were a couple of times David had gone over to the land of Philistines. Philistines, if you don't know, right, Goliath was a Philistine. Really, it was the enemy of Israelites. And David had gone over to the land of Philistines seeking refuge, knowing Saul wouldn't have free reign 
in that land. Knowing that Saul wouldn't be able to freely operate there because that's the enemy's land. And one of those occasions, David had barely escaped the hands of Philistines. He came, he went to seek refuge, and in one of those incidences, he barely survived with his life. Right? The, the, the Philistines also wanted him dead. So David reflects back on his near-death experience in the land of Philistines, and, 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 and he, he, he tells this story. And this is the psalm that came out of his time in the land of Philistines. So really this song, when you read first three verses, it's a song of, of testifying of God's faithfulness. David is full of gratitude and thankfulness. Verses 1 to 3, I will bless the Lord all times. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Exalt his name. Right? These are the words of a man. Who knows, it was unwise for him to go to the land of Philistines, and yet God has shown him mercy. Right? Man of th- man who is filled with thanksgiving and gratitude. So verses 1 to 3, he praises, worships, says, I will always worship the Lord, for he has shown to be faithful. And then on to verses 4 and 7, he begins to testify. He's testifying of what the Lord has done for him. And then he ends the song, verses 8 to 22, with a mini sermon. It's sort of a sermon on the topic of what it means to truly live wisely. So the book of Psalms is this collection of books that are under the umbrella of wisdom books. And Psalm 34, towards the end, verses 8 to 22, it's sort of a wisdom, uh, wisdom psalm, giving you lessons, giving the audience lessons and the topic is, what does it mean for God's people to live in the reverence of God? Everyone say reverence. We're talking about reverence today. So we'll walk through that. So let's look at verses 4 to 7. We'll start there, right? Uh, and, and, and David says, in my fear, I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. And he answered. He delivered me from all my fears. See, what does, what does it exactly mean? For one to seek the Lord. For one to look to the Lord. When we say we're looking to the Lord, what does it mean? You see, if you look at the original language, it's this idea of banking on someone, trusting in someone. Imagine you're at work and you have a big project coming up and you're the leading gal, you're the leading guy and your boss says, I'm banking on you, I'm counting on you. It's this idea of total reliance, total trust. It's, it's, it's just putting hope on someone or something that that person or that thing will come through. So David says, I look to you in my times of trouble, in my times of fear. And he goes on in verse 5, those who look to Yahweh, look to the Lord, are radiant. The Hebrew word for radiant here is nahar, which literally means to shine, to beam, to light up. So Psalmist says, so David says, when we bank on God, when we look to God and says, God, you're going to pull through for me. I trust you and you alone. What he's saying is distress would give away to delight. Hopelessness will turn to great hope. Darkness will give away to sense of light. So as we approach Psalm 34 this morning, as you're watching this or as you're on site, let me ask you this morning, what, this afternoon, what do you lack? What is 
You know, David was obviously stressed about his life. His life was on the line. But for you, what is stressing you out? What is keeping you awake at night? Perhaps for some of you, it's patience when dealing with something, some situation at work. Maybe it's provision. Maybe it's perspective. Maybe it's healing. Perhaps a fresh start. Perhaps a new relationship. Perhaps a new direction. Whatever your need may be, our needs are going to be very different. Many of us are watching, many of us are here. Our needs are different. Yet the answer that the psalmist gives, Psalm 34, says, look to the Lord. Right? The psalmist says, when we look to the Lord, we will not be ashamed. That's what the scripture says. And, but the common temptation, right, whenever we find ourselves in a tough situation, a difficult situation, relationship, hardship, is to do everything we can to try to take care of the situation on our own, right? Or at least attempt to do so. And this was what David did, right, in this context, by crossing the border into the land of Philistines, hoping that Philistines, his enemies, will give him refuge. By taking the matter into his own hands, that badly backfired. And he nearly died, our first Samuel 21, 13 gives us context to this psalm. What David's talking about is, I went, I took matters to my own, own hands, I ran to the hands of Philistines, and I almost died. First Samuel 21, 13, in that account, David had to pretend to be insane. Right? The text tells us he had to literally let his saliva run down his beard in order to save his own life. Shame. Reflecting on his own shame. So David looks back on what he had to experience because of his own choices. He's telling his readers, don't make the same mistake. Don't take matters into your own hands. I know you want to. I know that's all of our temptation. But David says, instead, seek the Lord. Look to the Lord. And he's going to deliver. He will answer. He will hear. But as we're reading this advice or this praise by David, what does it mean to look to the Lord? How does that look practically in our own lives? Does it mean to, what does it mean to seek the Lord? Does it mean to simply wait for the Lord and do nothing, sit on our hands and do nothing about the situation? No. We talked about what it means to faithfully wait here in this, in this pulpit. And waiting on the Lord does not mean we just sit on our hands. And do nothing, no, right? One example, as, as we were looking for a new home, the mall that we were meeting is shut, was shutting down because of COVID, and they told us, hey, you have about two months to move out. As we're looking, right, we had to do our diligence to make, our call, make phone calls to different places, go see different spaces, you know, inquire about different opportunities. It wasn't like just us just sitting and saying, okay, Lord, just, just give us a space. There was a diligence there was a discussion. There were times of prayer together. And, and, and then only when we strongly felt like God was leading us to this very location, we also needed to step out in faith. Right? It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, this is a great place. No, we had to pray. The elders had to pray and say, okay, can we afford this? Is this a good call? Is God calling us to Jamshir? And, and, and we had to step out in faith. So, 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 so in a way, whatever, whatever situation you're in, 
what the psalmist is not telling us, do nothing and just sit on your hands. No, he's saying be diligent, but understand you're going to move when God moves you. Things are going to happen when God opens the door. So wait diligently for the Lord. That's so the first thing that the psalmist is testifying of. Verse 5, the radiance, again, this idea of radiance also reminds us of another account in the Old Testament, account when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. The author of, of Exodus tells us that Moses' face was glowing, was radiant. You see, here's another truth. See, when Moses spent time in Mount Sinai, in the presence of God, his face became radiant. His face changed, and people were actually terrified of what Moses looked like. Here's another truth. When you and I immerse ourselves in the presence of God, whether that's through our time in the Word, whether, whether that's through fellowship with other faithful followers, whether that's through our personal time of prayer or Bible study or coming to service or tuning in through YouTube, Whatever that looks like, whenever we immerse ourselves in the presence of God, true transformation begins to take place. It's the presence of God that transforms our hearts. You may believe, oh, it's our own effort. You may believe, oh, it's these wonderful songs, these wonderful sermons. No, at the heart of it, it's God. It's the Holy Spirit coming down and meeting us. And that's when we transform. Right? And, and as Sama says, the face became radiant. As Moses spent time with the Lord in Mount Sinai and he came down, he was transformed. So perhaps you've tuned in to today's service, weary, distressed, and perhaps confused, or, or dealing with whatever you're dealing with, well, well, the encouragement the psalmist gives is seek his presence. Seek his presence because only through his presence you're going to be transformed. Verse 6 and 7, we're going to move, move through. David says, I'm a poor man, right? He's referring to himself as a poor man. Notice David doesn't say, I've been anointed to be the next king, which is true. That happened when Samuel went to his house and said, this, this, is, this is the next king. He doesn't, notice he doesn't say, I have many men that have committed their lives to me. And that's true. David had mighty men that was moving with them, that have committed their lives to him. Even before he became, became the king. But he doesn't say that. Notice he doesn't say, I'm righteous and I'm, I'm blameless, I'm good. No, he says, I'm a man of great poverty. Another lesson Psalm 34 gives us is this. It's not simply what we pray. Yes, what we pray is important, but it's also the posture, our posture of approaching God. You see, what the psalmist is showing us, what David is showing us, is that you must approach God with humility and with heart of contrition. And Jesus, in Luke 18, 9, you know, tells us this really wonderful parable. Parable about two men who couldn't be more different, a tax collector and a religious man. And the religious man, these two men entered temple, and the religious man stood in front of, of the hall, praying lofty prayers, saying, thank God I'm not like that tax collector. Thank God I tied and I'm, I'm not a thief like that tax collector, right? While in verse 13, Jesus says, the tax collector who was in the back, 
He could not even get to the front. He would not even dare to look up to, to heaven, but beat himself saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus, after telling the story of these two men in the temple, he looks at the crowd and he says, I tell you, this man, the humble tax collector, not the religious man, went home justified before God. And for all those who exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, it's this principle of kingdom that is upside down. So, so friends, whenever we come to pray, whenever we come to approach God with our requests, with our distress, remember who, who we are speaking to. We are approaching the creator of all things. I mean, did you see the clouds this week? I felt like they were worshiping the Lord. I mean, it was amazing. Every day I walked down, I was like, man, this is amazing. God created those clouds. God created all the wonderful things that we've enjoyed this week. He's the creator of the sun and the moon and the stars, and he does not owe us anything. In fact, God is not obligated to hear us out. Sometimes we feel like we're entitled to be able to come to God and, and tell him how we feel. And he should just answer our prayer because he's God and we're his people. No, he's not, we're not entitled to anything. God is not obligated to hear us. He's not obligated or, or, or obligated to be concerned about what we desire out of life. He is God and we are not. He is holy and we are sinful. He decides what is wrong and what is right and we don't get a say in what is wrong and what is right. Even though we live in a culture where everybody wants to define for themselves what is right and what is wrong. He decides. Yet the wonderful reality that the psalmist wants to teach us is that when we do approach God with humility, just like the tax collector in Luke's account, he hears us. He actually hears our prayers. We're reminded of, we're singing that song this morning, Psalm 8. We were there last week. Who are we that you are mindful of us? I mean, that should be our confession every time we come to approach God. Who, who am I? You see the moon and the stars in the sky, and, and who am I that... That we feel like you should hear us. No, Lord, who am I that you are mindful of us, that you actually consider our thoughts? And then David moves on in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We, if you grew up in the church, we've heard this many times. This is probably the most famous line in all, all of Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What David is doing here in verse 8 is simply inviting the readers to experience the very God that he has experienced. Right? He's saying it's one thing for you to hear about my own experience, but it's another thing for you to experience it for yourself. Last week, our sister Emily, she shared her testimony about how the faithfulness of God, five years of severity, how God has been faithful over her life. And how God has taken her out of her brokenness and renewed her and restored her. And we hear her testimony and we are wonderfully blessed. But I hope as we're hearing testimonies from our sister Emily that we are also encouraged to say, God, I want to experience you in a similar way. I want to experience you in a fresh way. That is what the psalmist is encouraging you to do. Right? It's like this. My brother Weldon 
took me to a new burger place a couple weeks ago. And I did my back surgery. I was hurting. I needed to go another checkup. So I asked Weldon to drive me. We did that. And Weldon's like, there's a new burger place. It's delicious. And I go, okay, let's go. I love burgers. And it's, it's, it's like this. It's in, it's in Songsu. It's, it's no vegetables. It's just a nice double cheeseburger. And that's it. It's, like, it's, it's nice buns. Uh, nice 100% beef patties, medium, medium rare, maybe medium, uh, and just nice American cheese. And, and you, you take a bite of that, and it's just like, man, this is amazing, right? But I can tell you all about how amazing this burger is. I, I drew a burger for you guys. I, I, I can tell you how amazing this burger is. But even the picture itself won't do justice. You got to go taste it for yourself. I'll tell you. If you come and ask me after service, I'll tell you. It is. Oh, Weldon could tell you. Weldon could take you and pay for you too. So, so, so do, do ask Weldon. He's got a new job. Bro. He could do it. Um, but you know, it's one thing to hear about trying this wonderful burger or watching this wonderful movie, but it's another thing for you to be able to actually sit down and taste it for yourself. In the same way, you and I, we cannot be satisfied by wonderful stories of God's faithfulness in the lives of others. Right? We should desire for ourselves right, to experience the God that people are describing and allow those experiences to strengthen our commitment to Him. That's what He says. Come, you taste and see how good and wonderful the Lord is. Verse 9, David moves on. He says, fear the Lord, you his saints. Okay, the Hebrew word for verse 9, fear in verse 9, is different from the Hebrew word for the fear in verse 4. Right? It's same in the English language, but it's very different. Verse 4, there's fear. Verse 9, there's fear. The Hebrew word for fear in verse 4 is megorah, megorah which means to be terrified, to be distressed. The Hebrew word in verse 9 for fear is yare, which literally means to revere something. To, 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 to because they are, they're weighty and there's so much glory, you see it, you revere that thing. Reverence is what the psalmist wants to talk about. Here's a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis that helps us understand this idea of reverence better. Because I I don't think there's enough reverence in our culture. Our culture has become pretty casual, and this idea of reverence is sort of archaic. Here's a quote from The Lion and the Witch and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. And, and, And in this fictional story, Mr. Beaver is trying to explain Aslan. Aslan is a, a type of Christ in the story to this character named Susan. And this is, what, this is what Mr. Beaver says as he describes his God figure in the story. And he says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said the beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, that's the idea of reverence. Do not let anyone tell you that God is safe. He is the creator of all things. Just as lion is not safe, God is not safe. 
but he is good. We've seen it throughout scripture. We've seen it throughout our lives that God is good and he is faithful. So understand that reality of God can help us. The, 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 the space between being afraid but knowing that he's good, not feeling safe, yet he is just. It's that space that allows us to live in true reverence of God. Right? We, we will know, and, and, and in, in verse 9, if you read, David says, when we choose to live in fear of the Lord, in reverence of the Lord, we will no longer be terrified of life itself. That's what David's saying in verse 9. David says, if you fear God, you're not going to fear anything else. You will not lack anything. Because the truth is, you and I, we will all fear something. You can be the most brave person in this room or in this virtual space. Weird. Virtual space. You can be the most brave person, yet you have to fear something. Because when you think about it, fear is closely tied to worship. Reverence is closely tied to worship. To revere something means to worship. Right? You could worship your career, your family, money, time, choice, whatever you, you love, whatever you worship, choice is yours. No one can choose that for you. To put it another way, if God is not feared in your life, you could say, I, I'm a Christian, I love God, come to church, do your tithe, and do all these things. But if God is not truly feared in your life, if he's not true Lord of your life that leaves you in the center of your heart. And you're going to have to do everything in your own power to maintain control over your own life. Your relationships, your career, your finances, you fill in the blank. But the moment something goes wrong, but the moment something cracks and things will go wrong, if you've lived enough, you'll realize things will go wrong. You have no one but to look to yourself because you're at the center of your own heart. That's the fear that verse 4 is describing. That's when we become terrified, stressed. That very need and desire to maintain control will create fear and those fears will be unrelenting. So friends, what you need today you may think you need more money. You may think you may need a new direction. You may think you, you may need a new relationship or more experiences, more affirmation. But really what you need this morning or this afternoon is really to restore the awe factor of God. To restore your reverence for the Lord. To restore and to know and to replace yourself. If you're at the center of your life, if what you revere is yourself and your career, your family, your money, whatever that is, you've got to replace it with God. Otherwise, you're going to let those things eat you alive. David goes on to say, for verse 15, With the eyes of the Lord and his ears are towards the righteous. When the righteous cry for help, that's verse 17, the Lord hears and delivers them. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I love what verse 18 says. Even there's, there's comfort in verse 18, right? Even the righteous experiences brokenness, hardship, pain in their lives. 
This means following Jesus, right? When we commit our lives to following Jesus, contrary to what some of the people have said, you're, you're not going to be exempt from life of pain and suffering. No. So don't let anyone tell you if you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't be sad. You shouldn't struggle with depression. You shouldn't suffer. Jesus, the one who we are following, his life was marked with much suffering, loneliness, and hardship. He is the king, the, the king that literally went to the cross. There is a rich theology of suffering in our Christian world. So there's comfort because even the righteous struggle. If you're struggling, if you're suffering, there's comfort. Even the righteous struggle. Even the righteous are crushed in spirit. But here is what God does promise throughout Scripture, even in the psalm, that when righteous suffer, when righteous struggle, we will never be left alone. Right? You will never be left alone in your pain, in your suffering, in fact, verse 18, he says, He is near. God is near to the brokenhearted. God saves the crushed in spirit. This means even if you don't think God sees you, even if you don't think God is hearing you, even if you feel utterly alone in your season of suffering today, know that God is near. Know that God, God's hand is not too short. God's will is not for you to remain, continue to remain suffering. That he wants to save you. And he will in due time. So this means your season of suffering, even if it could be the most crushing, difficult season of your life, there is an end. Right? It's not forever. Because God is going to save. And this means your pain does not go unnoticed by God. Your suffering is not without meaning. You may not understand the meaning for a long time. There, there are things I've experienced in my own life suffering in my own life, and I always ask God, God, what was that about? And, you know, you don't have an answer. Book of Job. At the end, God doesn't give Job an answer. But what's very clear through the book of Job and throughout stories of Scripture, maybe even in your own life, when you look back in the time of your suffering and seasons of storm, you know that God has walked with you. You know that God was in the storm with you. So David says, God is near. God is going to save. But here is where we run into a major problem according to the words of David. It's verse 15. I don't know if you've noticed, if you've noted that. David says, God's eyes are towards the righteous. Right? Verse 13, 14. David gives us a picture of someone whom God deems as righteous and good. Right? David says, you fear the Lord, then you're going to watch what you say. You're not going to lie. That's verse 13. If you fear the Lord, you're going to do what is right according to, the, according to the Lord. That's verse 14, right? It's people who do not sin with their words, people who do not sin with their actions. Well, if verse 15 is true, that qualification disqualifies pretty much all of us in this room and in our digital space. Because for who can say... We have not sinned against the Lord this week with our words, with our actions, with our thoughts. I can't say that. Can you say that? In fact, when, when you reflect back on your week, when we reflect back on our week, I'm sure many of us have said things that we immediately regretted. This week, you know, I mean, every day I'm driving to church because of COVID. Almost every day, unless Lois needs a car. 
Right, when I'm driving, right, I'm driving new road and I got to get on a highway. Sometimes traffic's bad. I think sometimes this week someone cuts. This happens like every other day. Someone cuts me off. This is Seoul, Korea, cutting each other off. It's just part of driving here. But every time someone cuts me off and I feel threatened by people's driving, I immediately react to whoever that's doing that as if he had murdered someone in my family, right? Like, like have you ever been surprised by how angry you've gotten? Whether that's like waiting in the subway, someone pushes you, you're like, you murdered my mother. Like this, this reaction that is unjustified, right? Um, I'm also shocked. What comes out of my own mouth when I get cut off by somebody, right? I'm listening to whatever I'm listening to, maybe praise song. I'm, I'm good. I'm feeling good. Someone cuts me off. I'm like, you, ah, you know, you just come, things come out and you're just like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe that, 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 that vocabulary was actually in me. I didn't know where, where I got that. You know, um, so how can we be confident, right? Verse 15, the righteous. And we know we're not righteous. So how can we be confident that the Lord will hear us and he will deliver us because we are not righteous. Because we have sinned against the Lord with our words and with our actions, with our thoughts. We cannot be confident. That's the truth. None of us could say we could be confident that we have been righteous you're delusional. Let me tell you, you're delusional if you believe that. And this prayer, really, all that we've talked about does not really apply to us. Let's pray and end the service. Yet, there's verse 20. There's this wonderful ending to the psalm that gives us hope. Verse 20, for the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Now one of them is broken. And you're like, what is this strange detail about bones, unbroken bones? That is unless you are a Jew. And you know what David is talking about in verse 20. You see, what David is talking about is what? The Passover lamb in Exodus 12, 46. God instructed the Israelites as they were about to leave Egypt. He said the lamb that they have prepared it is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to break a bone of it. And this was how God's people, what, what David is talking about is a system of atonement that God has created for them because God knew that they were not going to be sinless. There was this whole temple sacrificial system. But then for us, we're not Jews. We're not sacrificing our little pets every day for our sins. So Jesus comes along and he presents himself as the perfect sacrificial lamb, the lamb that took on the sin of the world. That's what the Gospel of John says. And John 19.33, John gives us detail to Jesus' crucifixion. As Jesus was hung on that Roman cross, there were two others besides him. And John tells us in John 19.33, the Roman soldiers went around. And broke the legs of those two thieves because they wanted to go home. They wanted these, these crucified people to die quickly. So they broke their leg. And when they got to Jesus, they didn't break Jesus' leg. No bone in Jesus' body was broken for he was already dead. That's what John says. It's like, whoa, so many gruesome details. John, relax. But then John says this was done so that the scripture will be fulfilled. 
So what, verse 19, what David, really what David is speaking of here in verse 19, he has no idea, he probably has no idea the, the depth, the richness of what he's speaking about. He, he's speaking of things, greater things that he does not know, right? Because he's really speaking not about sacrificial lamb, but he's speaking about Jesus in verse 19, 20. And what, what, what David is saying, it's only through because he said the righteous one. Who's the righteous one? It's not us. It's not the audience. It's not just the lamb. It is Jesus and his righteousness. And verse 21, 22, it says, Affliction will slay the wicked. Affliction will slay the wicked. What does that mean? It's the affliction of Jesus. The price that he's paid, the death that he died, the suffering he's endured. It's his affliction that have slayed not only the wickedness of the world, but our own wickedness. Friends, this is the gospel. Psalm 34 ends with this wonderful gospel reminder. And this is the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God himself, came into creation, the world that is created. He came as one of us. And he lived the perfect life that we could not live. And he died the death that we deserve. He took on all of our failures, all of our fears, all of our fickle hearts. And it's Jesus' affliction on that Roman cross. It's Jesus' cry on that Roman cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. That has slayed the wickedness, not only of the crowd that was on the scene, but the wickedness of our own hearts. So the psalmist ends his psalm in 21, promising Therefore, anyone who turns, who takes refuge in God, you will be hurt. You will be delivered. You will be made righteous. That's the message of Psalm 34. That's the, friends, that's the wonderful message of, 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 of God's truth that he wants to impart in all of us. This is our song in the wilderness. This is our song in our darkness. This is our song in the valley. Our song shouldn't be, God, we're going to try to be better. God, we're going to try to do right. No, it, it is, Lord, Jesus, you've done it. You've done it for me. It's the life that you lived, death you died, that cleanses me. Let me pray for us before we go to the time of communion. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 34. Lord, what a richness of, of truth that is... Um, in this text. And what, what an amazing uh, way that you're connecting uh, not only Psalm 34, but onto the story of Jesus. Affliction will slay the wicked. Lord, we, we, we are so um, encouraged. But Lord, we, we do pray, God, if anyone is weary, if anyone is struggling, if anyone is just burnt out, whether by this COVID, by pace of life, by loneliness, whatever it may be, relationships in our lives. If anyone is feeling utterly hopelessness about whatever is happening in their life, Lord, would you, I just pray that you would meet them where they are. It's your presence that transforms, so we need your presence. Whether through YouTube or on site, we need your presence, God. We cannot be transformed. We cannot go on without your presence so we ask for more of you Lord in our lives 
Make yourself more evident so that we can taste and, and, and see that, Lord, you are indeed good. Psalm 34 is not just a story of David, but it may be our story, may be our song, may be our cry. Lord, heal us. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, comfort us. Lord, challenge us. We thank you, Lord. Just let me pray. We're going to time of communion.